Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So we've just started a new series called Thou Shall Be Free. We're looking at the Ten Commandments one at a time, and we're looking at it through the lens and the premise that when God gave these commands to Israel right after he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, his intent was that he would instruct his children on what does it mean to live in covenant relationship with him. What does it look like to not be slaves anymore? What does it look like to be fully human and to be fully free? And when we look at the Ten Commandments through that lens, it shines an accurate light on what God's heart is. And it's been beautiful already. Feel free to go back and listen. But the third commandment, which we're going to be on today, I think was the one I had circled in my Bible with a question mark. I'm like, what does this have to do with freedom? What, how does this reveal the heart of God? So we're going to read the first three commandments. We're going to stop and we're going to unpack what does it mean when God says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. So Exodus chapter 20 says, Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me and do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below, in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them, and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Now, this is a, from the CSB translation. I wanted to read you the ESV's translation of this because I think it'll help us break down what's being said here in the original language, which is Hebrew. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, that word take in the Hebrew means to carry or to take up. You're upholding something And it says, do not take, do not carry the Lord, Yahweh, which we're going to talk about here in a second, name in vain. Now that Hebrew word for vain is kind of the key to this whole thing. And it means empty or nothingness. Meaning, the command is, do not treat the Lord's name as if it's nothing. Which brings up a really important question. Daryl Johnson writes this, why did God speak the third commandment? Because he did not want us to waste a precious which implies the name of the Lord. And in this context, which is Yahweh, later translated as Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. What is the significance in God's name? Well, we, we know that names carry significance. Right? I, I know this. Uh, growing up and being the, given the name that I've been given, Benjamin Sterling Horning, sounds quite long and regal, especially when you're like seven. I remember finding out that my dad wanted to name me Sterling, which is my middle name. And my mom was fond of the name Dennis. 
And I remember when I started dating Jen and she found out I was almost named Dennis and, and she says, I can't imagine dating a Dennis. So sorry if your name is Dennis. But I remember just being like, really matters that much. It's like, yeah, you're a Benji. And I remember growing up with this name, kind of like this, this little nickname behind Benjamin. And I went into high school and I decided it was time for a change. It was time for me to grow up. And so I started telling everyone at this brand new school that my name was Ben. So at my high school, those four years was the only window of time and the only space in my life where I was ever called Ben. Well, the kids in my youth group, the family members that I had found out that I was being called Ben in one place and Benji in the other, and there was just like an outright revolt. And I just like had no idea that these two little letters would make people feel so differently about a name. Like I feel like it's kind of the same thing. And then I have friends who skip both of those, the Ben and the Benji, and then they just call me Benj for short because Benji's apparently too long. But then my mom and my dad are really the only ones who call me Benjamin. And so this, it's kind of this interesting thing. And my, my kids recently found out that I was almost called Dennis. And so now they think it's really funny that whenever we're going on a trip and they have those little like souvenir things where they sell like pens or keychains with names on it, they'll like buy me like a pen that says Dennis on it. So I have a lot of Dennis memorabilia now. Uh, lying around my house. But uh, a few months ago, I felt like the Lord asked me to look into my name, which I had done previously, but never done a deep dive. And what I found is that Benjamin means son of my right hand. And I, which I've heard before, I didn't really know what that meant. And so I began to start looking at it. And what I found is that when the right hand is referred to in the Bible, oftentimes it's referring to blessing. It is the hand that you bless your children with. So to be the son of my right hand means you are the son of blessing. And over the past couple of months, I felt the Lord ask me to explore and to pray and to lean into what does that name? Why? Because names mean something. Frederick Beekner, the author and Presbyterian minister, once wrote this. B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, it is my name. It is pronounced Beekner. If somebody mispronounces it in some foolish way, I have the feeling that what is foolish is me. If somebody forgets it, I feel that it is I who am forgotten. There's something about it that embarrasses me in just the same way that there's something about me that embarrasses me. I cannot imagine myself with any other name. Held, say, or Merrill, or Halvacek, and my name were different. I would be different. When I tell somebody my name, I have given him a hold over me that he did not have before. If he calls it out, I stop, look, and listen, whether I want to or not. In the book of Exodus, God tells Moses his name is Yahweh, and God hasn't had a peaceful moment since. That reference is Exodus chapter 3, taking place before Moses rescues the Israelites. He has an encounter with this God, this God who up to that point was probably only confined to tradition and folklore. And as Moses is shepherding out in the desert, probably very close to where the Ten Commandments were given, he has an encounter with a burning bush. And while he's there, he starts to have a conversation with God and God invites him to be the rescuing agent for his people. It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, this God, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Francis Anderson, the Australian Old Testament scholar, said, The two greatest moments in history are number one, when the living God revealed his name, Yahweh. And number two, when the living God came down to us in a person bearing the name Yeshua, Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh to the rescue. See, names carry significance. Specifically in the Middle East, they they aren't just what you're called. They say something about you or your family of origin or of your destiny. And names carry significance, meaning when they're changed, which happens periodically throughout the Bible. And the interesting thing about God's name that's given here in Exodus chapter 3 is that we're actually not sure how it's pronounced. The reason for that is the the word given here that we pronounce Yahweh is four letters, Y-H-W-H. But the Hebrew alphabet only has 12 letters and there's no vowels. And so what would happen is that you would imagine an alphabet without vowels. You can kind of make it up, but it would be passed down in an oral tradition. But somewhere around two or three generations down the line, in an attempt to not break the third commandment, they stopped speaking that name. And when they stopped speaking that name because they had no way to translate that, it ended up actually losing its pronunciation, which is which is quite tragic. So they began to start making alternative names. They took names like El Shaddai, and they started calling him Yahweh. And then they took the word Adonai, and they took the syllables of of that word, they placed them in between the letters of Yahweh, which can also pronounce J, and it actually produces the word Jehovah. And this is where we get our word Jehovah. Jehovah is a tamed down, made up word to protect us from saying the Lord's name in vain. But again, within that, there's something that I feel is is missing. There's this invitation that God gave us that we've actually been robbed from. One scholar writes, Hebrew, in an attempt to not break the third commandment, stopped pronouncing Yahweh. We actually don't know the pronunciation. They would choose the name Adonai, which is when you see the word Lord. A group of rabbis took the vowels from the substitute word Adonai inserted them between the consonants Y-H-W-H, and the Y and the H can be rendered J and V. But according to Paul Jewut, what we need to realize is that the rabbis did this deliberately to thwart the pronunciation of the infallible name of God. Thus, the scholars today realize Jehovah is not correct. The better vocalization is Yahweh. And so we're left with this question. What does it mean to not take the Lord's name in vain. And so I want to offer three things in the alternative. How do we honor the Lord's name? And then by honoring the Lord's name, we will avoid taking it in vain. So these are the three thoughts. Number one, that we hold God's name in honor when we know the personal nature of God's name, the practical nature of God's name, and the powerful nature of God's name. Quick note on each. Number one, the personal nature of God's name means that we do not profane it in common, reckless speech. 
Secondly, we do not avoid it out of religious fear. And so we understand the personal, the near, the present nature of God's name by first understanding that we just can't treat it as common. Uh, This is probably the only interpretation I heard growing up of this third commandment is don't use God's name as a curse word. Um, I heard my son Augustine uh, a couple weeks ago under his breath whisper Jesus Christ in frustration and immediately I like leaned in I'm like what did you say and he could tell by the stern look on my face that I had he had said something wrong and immediately I'm like where did you learn that and he looks at me in his seven-year-old wit and he says dad I learned that in the bible so <laughs> touche to Augustine uh, but there is this sense where All we've ever really heard or understood about not taking the Lord's name is not using it as a curse word, which I would say is very wise, and it is a way to honor the third commandment. Daryl Johnson, in his masterful book, That You May Live, says this, In the third commandment, God tells us that God takes the name Yahweh seriously. Why? Because the consonants and the vowels are so sacred? No. Because disregard for the name reveals disregard for Yahweh. Jesus says that the words that come from our lips, however unintentional, reveal the attitude of our hearts. If we throw the name around carelessly, it reveals the carelessness of our heart. And so that's, that's one way thing we need to avoid. But the second thing we need to avoid is to avoid it, avoiding his name altogether out of kind of a wrong religious type of fear. When Jesus came on the scene, 1,500 years after this moment, what we find is that they had stopped saying the name of the Lord altogether except for one day on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies. It was only pronounced once a year. What a tragedy. Joy Davidman said this, Many churchgoers think of the third commandment as, as meant primarily to forbid casual profanity, yet Casual profanity is perhaps the least of our offense against it. We commit the ultimate blasphemy by not calling upon God at all. You see, God gave his name so that we would know him. And how are we supposed to understand the gift of his name if it's never used? A matter of fact, right before God reveals his name to Moses, he reveals his name being connected to his character. In Exodus 3, 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, and I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. You see, his name reveals who God is, that he is a God who sees, he's a God who hears, he's a God who feels, and he's a God who comes down. His name encapsulates all those things. A few chapters later in Exodus 34, Moses again talks to God about his name. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, in his name, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, he unpacks what he's saying within that name. We find out that God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
So Yahweh, when we lean into the name of God, which is later fulfilled through the name of Jesus, we find out that we have a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who feels, a God who comes down, a God who's merciful, a God who's gracious, a God who's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and a God who is faithful. Yes, we must be careful not to treat it as commonplace, but we also must be careful to not recognize the incredible gift it is to call upon the name of Jesus. The second thing in order for us to honor the name of God is to understand the practical nature of God's name. And when I say practical nature, I mean the, the practiced nature, the congruence of us living in light of his name. And there's really two ways to mess this up. Number one is that we live selfishly out of line with his character, meaning we do not live under the same values, nature, and character of his name. And the second way is to actually live so, right, so self-righteously that we actually start to view our moral superiority as a way to look down on people. And by doing that, we're not living according to his name. So the first is we have to be careful to not live selfishly out of line with his character. This is one of the greatest ways we take, we treat the Lord's name as empty, is that you and I, specifically sons and daughters called by God, do not live out according to our divine family name. Friedrich Nietzsche, the philosopher, said, Show me that you are redeemed, and then I will believe in your Redeemer. Or Mahatma Gandhi says, I like what I see in your Christ. It is your Christians that cause me trouble. You see, if we want to not take the Lord's name in vain, to treat it as nothing and empty, it requires us to live in the character, nature, and virtue that that name represents. But we also have to be careful of the other extreme, where we begin to start in an attempt to live into self-righteousness, we actually begin to start viewing others in a condescending way. And when we do that, those are some of the harshest words that Jesus reserved were for those people who would place a burden on people but being unwilling to lift a finger themselves. And so the greatest example we can have in terms of the practical nature of God's name is to recognize that we, how we live matters. How we live represents a name. Which name is it representing? And then the last point is this. We must understand the powerful nature of God's name. Now, there's a lot of worship songs, especially contemporary worship songs, that speak of the power of God's name. And there's, there's two pitfalls and dangers that we must be aware of. Number one is that we must be careful not to try and manipulate God's name through superstitious attempts to control. And secondly, we have to be careful not to belittle the powerful name of God because of our reluctance to have childlike faith. But first, we have to, we have to recognize, and maybe this isn't for you, but there are some religious traditions, even within Christianity, that use God's name as a sort of manipulative tool to get God to do what you want. And if you are trying to use God's name in the form of an equation rather than underneath the, the gift of a relationship, then you've really missed the point. 
Because if God's name is simply an equation for you to control the outcome you want, you have sucked the life and intimacy out of the relationship and you have disregarded the sovereignty and the power that God has for him to be who he is and to answer only to himself and to the name that he has revealed to himself. We have to be careful of that. But probably if there's one thing I wanted our church to recognize in terms of the third commandment and how it leads to a fully flourishing human life is that we have to recognize that the reason God asked them not to treat his name as nothing is that it is a gift. And so we have to rediscover the power of the name of God, the name of Yahweh, fully revealed as Yeshua, Jesus, Yahweh our salvation, Yahweh to the rescue. You see, Jesus is the only one who has never taken the Lord's name in vain because he is the only one who has fully fulfilled the entirety of his name in a person through his love, his life, his teachings, his character, his death, his resurrection, and his enthronement. He is the perfect use case of the name of God. A matter of fact, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he ends one of the hymns in the second chapter by saying this, Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's been given the name the name that is above every name, the name in which every single knee of every other name must bow because of the unique and total power that exists within the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. We have to recapture a deep reverence and appreciation for the extreme power that exists within the name of Jesus Martin Luther, hundreds of years ago, writing his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, as our God wrote this, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him, and that word is Jesus. See, the name of Jesus changes everything. I'm going to say that again. The name of Jesus changes everything. It changes us. It changes our future. You might be like, well, how, how does it change us? Well, if you read the Bible, you pick up a theme that this God is not only in the business of declaring the power of his name, he's in the business of changing our names. Abram turned to Abraham in Genesis 17. Sarai turned to Sarah in Genesis 17. Jacob to Israel in Genesis 32. Simon to Peter in Matthew 16. And Saul to Paul in Acts 13. But this isn't just for the saints of the Bible. Did you know that you and I, underneath the name of Jesus, actually are promised that our names will be changed as well? Revelations 2.17 to the church of Pergamum says this, To him who overcomes, 
I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it. Before we get onto the, the, the theme of a new name, I want to just reference the white stone quickly. You see, in the time of Revelation was being written, white stones equaled innocence. Judges had white stone to vote for acquittal and black stones for guilt. Receiving a white stone on a trial meant you were free from condemnation. Other biblical scholars believe the white stone represents a ticket. In biblical times, white stones were also used as tickets for admittance to festivals and gatherings. Either way, the white stone seems to represent a token of favor and approval from the Redeemer. So for those who overcome, under the power of Jesus' name, we've been given a white stone. But on that white stone, there is a new name on it. And it says that only the one who receives it will know what it is. It's an intimate name. It is a name that's divine. It is a name that has been fashioned by the name that is above every other name. And so whatever sort of failure, whatever sort of brokenness, whatever sort of shame is attached to the name that you've been given, the name that you've been called, know that the name that is above every name has a white stone with a new name that will be bestowed upon you and spoken over your life, not just for a time or a season, but for all of eternity. Dr. Sam Storm said that there is an identity you have in God reflected in your new name that transcends whatever shame or regret or disappointment is wrapped up in who you are now. There's a very private and personal place of intimacy with him that brings hope and freedom and joy that none can touch or taint or steal away. The name of Jesus changes everything. It changes you, it changes me, but my friends, I want to leave with this idea that the name of Jesus changes our future. The very last page of the Bible references the name of the Lord. It references the hope of every single human heart following Jesus or not. The hope of a renewal of all things, of everything put right into order, a hope of redemption as it writes. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I don't know if you paid attention to the beginning of the sermon. When Moses asks to see God's face, he says, I cannot show you my face, and you live. He says, but this is my name. But on the last day of the redemption of all things as we're ushered into the beautiful vision of eternity purchased for us by the name above every other name, it says that we will not only know his name, it says we will see his face fully and his name will actually be on us. We will bear his name. We will not treat, take it in vain. We will not treat it as empty. It will be at the forefront of our mind and our thinking and our life. And when we have the name of Jesus there, then we are free. 
My friends, when you pray in the name of Jesus, when you ask in the name of Jesus, when you live under the authority of the name of Jesus, you can live free. It's not, it's not sort of some sort of superstitious, magical thing. It is a relational reality. You belong to him. And under the name of Jesus, which is the authority that you live under, every other name must submit to that name. So would we, with our childlike faith, ask God to lift up our reverence and our honor of his name to hold in a way that we never have before? Let me leave you with a quote from Warren Worsby. He says, great names come and go, but the name of Jesus remains. The devil still hates it. The world still opposes it. But God still blesses it and we can still claim it. In the name of Jesus is the key that unlocks the door of prayer and the treasury of God's grace. It is the weapon that defeats the enemy and the motivation that compels our sacrifice and service. It's the name that causes our hearts to rejoice and our lips to sing his praise. Would you join me in a time of worship as we lift up the name of Jesus? Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.